You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hi, I'm Ralph Powell, co founder and CEO of Real Vision. Thank you so much for listening to the Real Vision podcast. At Real Vision, we pride ourselves on providing the best in-depth expert analysis available to help you understand the complex world of finance, business, and the global economy. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll accept my invitation to try Real Vision Plus for 30 days for just $1. Visit realvisionpodcast.com today and join us as we navigate the financial world together. Cheers. If the Republicans maintain control of Congress, it will get easier to buy stolen goods by accident. Welcome to The Knock-On Effect. Hello, welcome to the show where we start with the thing you know and end up in a strange Place. I'm Alex Rosenberg, joined as always by my partner in crime, Justine Underhill. How are oh, you? Hello, hello. I'm very good. You went, uh, you know how they do in the beginning of podcasts, sometimes they talk about, you went You went, ma- you went on a corn maze this weekend. Yeah, I had a little fun adventure. Well, that banter didn't work. Okay, so uh, <laughs> basically what, what we're going to talk about is how... Um, I forgot what you had done, and so I wanted to bring that up, but I couldn't remember. Uh, I went foraging. Oh, right. Okay. So we both had um, outside of the city adventures. Very autumnal, I think. Yes. So, yeah, basically, I'm going to show you how the midterm elections could uh, make it easier to buy uh, to buy stolen stuff. and uh, By accident. By accident. It's actually a closer connection than, than, you might, uh, than, than you might think. So, obviously, the midterms are ahead in the United States, um, and the control of the House and the Senate is both, both at stake. The... Uh, Republican uh, Democrats look likely to take the House from the Republicans. Uh, there's an off chance they uh, they take the Senate. Yeah. Um, and this as is well. just sort of the normal flow of things. People are disappointed with whatever the government's doing, and so like to uh, vote a new party into power each each time around. Yeah, I mean it's it's a bit unusual because the economy is so strong that you know uh, no, normally you you stick with what's working when the economy's strong. But then again, you could have said the same thing for the 2016 election, right? The economy was relatively strong and, and people switched uh, switched the party leadership. Uh so there's you know, there's probably a lot more going on than Yeah, well, I mean and it also depends on who you're talking to cuz I'm sure that people in rural America weren't saying, "Oh, the economy's really strong." So while the overall numbers could look really good, it is. Uh, but I mean, you know, all the all the coal miners that are losing their job. No, but There's I mean, like seventeen it, coal miners. Okay, when it comes down to it, it's all the um, the workers, the manufacturers that are getting their jobs shifted into something that's more service oriented. And so, guess what? Service jobs pay a lot less than manufacturing jobs, and so that's just sort of the trend we're seeing as automation comes into play and robots take over the world. Okay. <laughs> anyway, just, just gonna let that one lay. So, um, so, so some of the things at stake. It's, it's if you had to name like the biggest issue in the midterm election, this financial regulations would be so far down the list. But it, it's one of the things that's at that's at play. I mean, Republicans and Democrats, their views on how to deal with the finance industry in the wake of the financial crisis have 
been very, very different, very divergent. Yeah, it's funny because I, I always feel like the answer is somewhere in between the extremes. You know, on the one hand, you have someone saying lots of regulation. We need regulation for everything. And then on the other hand, you have people, mostly Republicans, saying, well, this is hampering small banks and big banks. <laughs> yeah, they always bring up the small banks. <laughs> yeah, but it's also, yeah. Mostly right. the big banks. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so, so the, the main important regulation we've seen recently or, or set of regulations is uh, Dodd-Frank, of course, um, which did a lot of things. Uh, and But one of the things it did is um, set up the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau and give that bureau the uh, ability to regulate small-dollar loans or or in, and even more specifically, payday loans, which fall into the small dollar loans category, um, but are t- typically have very high interest rates and typically are paid off by your your next uh, paycheck. Okay, How, what does it take to get a payday loan? Not much, not much. Oh. Uh, you can sort of uh, waltz in. Um, you know, often it it doesn't hit your your credit report, um, and it, it's pretty easy to get a loan. And then it's often easy to even roll that over. So you take out a hundred dollars. And then you have to pay, let's say, 130 back in 30 days. So obviously the interest rate was incredibly high. Uh, like in the like what range? I uh, you, you often see interest rates in the 200 to 400 percent range. Um, Which APR sounds extreme, but I do think it's worth mentioning that usually these people are not hopefully taking it out for a year. So if it's it's 400 percent over a year, but oftentimes they're paying it back within a a couple weeks. And so for $100, you might pay something like $15, you know, in two weeks. Yeah, well, yeah, you'd probably pay $30 or, or something like that. But um, so, so giving a better picture of the landscape, it's really not just payday loans that are that are um, in, in the crosshairs here. There's also uh, auto title loans where you borrow against the value of your car. You actually, uh, you can bo- basically, you give the lender another pair of your car keys, a second pair of your car keys, and uh, your car can get repossessed if you don't uh, if you don't pay them off. It's hmm. it's auto title loans. Um, so all these loans are sort of covered uh, by the CFPB now, and so both auto title loans and these small payday loans. Yeah. So 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 there's actually a um, there was an act in. Uh, sorry, it's actually not an act. It's not an act of Congress. It's it's a rule. So it's a set of regulations. Um, enacted by the CFPB in October of 2017 called Payday Vehicle Title and Certain High-Cost Installment Loans. Whew. Basically, it uh, is, quote, according to the CFPB, aimed at stopping payday debt traps by require- requiring lenders to determine upfront whether people can afford to repay their loans. More specifically, quote, lenders are required to determine whether the borrower can afford the loan payment and still meet the basic living and still meet basic living expenses and major financial obligations. Also limits the number of loans that can be granted to the same person. Um, but it does not put a cap on interest rates. Now, as you can sort of tell, this is a really long and complicated, drawn out. It's it's actually uh, 1,690 pages. Which the, is the rule. crazy. Yeah. Like, why, why does it need to be so long? Well, it's very complex. And then there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of dialogue that they... They kind of like give you a, a real window into their thinking, which is actually actually kind of helpful for for us journalists. But yeah, and I don't. I will also add, 
Um, I have not read all 1,600 pages of it. I'm only on page 439, but I'm telling you, it's a real page turner. Oh, wow. Forget Nancy Drew. I mean. This is is where you go, the CFPB. Well, and so what I think is key, though, is that there have been regulations that have been put into place for certain payday lenders, and payday lenders have been able to skirt around those rules. So uh, something that's important that you've mentioned is these rollovers. So if someone's in a huge amount of debt um, and they need to suddenly get more money because they're already in that debt from the payday lending, mm-hmm. they then have to roll over their loan. So certain states barred the rollovers or the number of times you can roll over. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Certain payday lenders said, oh, well, we'll just cancel this loan and start you up on a new loan to sort of hide the f- and completely open up a new loan number. Um, and so that sort of hides it. So in some ways, I mean, not to say that a thousand pages of text is good, but I would hope that it would close some of the loopholes that do exist. Yeah. So, so a, a couple uh, interesting points here. One is that the, the, the thousand pages of, uh, the, the fact the rule is so complicated, so long and, and rather unprecedented is the reason the agency gave it 21 months to go into effect. So even though it was passed on October, uh, 27 or handed down on October, 2017, uh, it's not to take impact until August of 2019. Um, the other thing, you know, I, I want to mention is that, as you brought up, states have different rules. So this is a very um, state-specific issue because uh, some states have, have filled in for a gap in, in federal government regulation. So some states like New York, payday loans are not allowed. Uh, other states have restrictions governing the cost of loans, in other words, the, the interest rates. Um or the companies that can provide loans. So, uh, many states have restrictions about how many times uh, you can roll over, as you mentioned. And so another part of the, so, so just getting back to that, that rule, what, what's, what's crazy is that uh, Mick Mulvaney, the acting director, has sued to extend the deadline for it to go into effect past August 2019 to give them a bit more time to maybe write a new rule or restructure it somehow. Or kill the rule. Yeah, uh, lost that case, oddly. And although he's, he's trying again, and the Republican-controlled Congress missed its May deadline for overriding the, the rule. So it's just such a funny thing because, I mean, it, it just says so much about American democracy with policies shifting like crazy from one, uh, from one administration to the next that now you have Mick Mulvaney uh, responsible for putting into effect a rule that he doesn't want created by an agency that he runs that he doesn't think should exist. I'm, I'm not quoting him on that, but that's yeah. a you know common common belief Fair that it is a new assessment. agency after all. Yeah. Uh, and the after a fight over being who was acting director or not, the real direct the, the, the nominee for the next director is mired in the Senate, um, and and the Republicans didn't uh, didn't override the rule when they could have. So it's just so weird, and 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 so people rightly complain that there's like this huge state of, of limbo. Um, and, and the limbo is actually extended by something that's going on in Congress. So, so I mentioned it's very state-specific. There were two bills that recently introduced uh, the Modernizing Credit Opportunities Act and Protecting Consumers' Access to Credit Act, both pretty similar. They, they, and they restrict these states' abilities to ban high-interest rate loans um, by allowing banks to work with third-party lenders that lend at rates above the state caps more easily, so it's it's sort of it's sort of writing a backdoor huh. for banks to get involved in the payday loan 
uh, industry. Now, neither of these bills have been passed, but again, it's like if I was running a, a payday lender, it's just like, oh my, like the government just can't figure out what it's doing. So it's like, tell me what to do and, and I'll do it. But the, the, the executive branch can't figure out what to do. And Congress is, is also up in the air. It's, it's, and then if the Democrats win the election, it could be a whole new set of rules and regulations. It's, it's, and and it, you could have a situation where uh, a Democratic Congress tries to force the CFPB to put into effect rules that they don't like. It's, like, right. it's and, such a— and, I, and meanwhile, you have Mick Mulvaney still trying to fight this other regulation. So that might not even go into effect at all by 2019. Right. So it's sort of—and it's also interesting that— um, because Republicans are very much about states' rights, but here you have them trying to override states' rights in some ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. It's just totally. it's, it's, it, it, the alliances it, are, are kind of confused in this situation oh, com- specifically. Com- well, completely. I mean, now the thing is, this is not. I, I'm painting a picture. Uh, an interpretation of what I'm saying is, wow, like the. Um, Republicans in the executive branch are, are very disorganized. They can't even stop something from putting into effect. They can't even prevent themselves from having to put into effect something that they don't like. Well, there's one last piece of the, I, I, I hate to stay in Washington, there's one last piece of the, the regulatory puzzle. And then we can move out of Washington? Yes, yes, cool. j- just like you did. Um, <laughs> the offices of the uh, Comptroller of the Currency is uh, also is involved in these sort of uh, small dollar loans. And in... 2014, um, uh, you know, smaller banks had been making deposit advanced loans, but they stopped after uh, the regulators warned banks not to provide products that could, quote, trap consumers in a cycle of high-cost debt that they are unable to repay. But now, offices of the comptroller of the currency is changing, new leadership in, in uh, Joseph Odding, and he rescinded that guidance put out by his agency before he was running it and said, quote, it's not like that credit demand went away. It just got displaced into the most expensive segment. I personally believe that banks can provide that in a safer, sound, more economically efficient manner. So, again, similar to the bills in Congress, trying to uh, get banks involved in the small-dollar loan uh, mm, game. Right. I think what's interesting about this specifically going into banking, so banks taking on more of the payday lending role, is that – for the rollovers or people that are more likely to roll over the debt, you could potentially screen those people and see who's financially irresponsible or who would not be able to pay it back much more easily at a bigger bank where they do a lot more of the due diligence than some of the small payday lenders where it would just cost too much to um, do all that research into somebody before giving them a loan. Yeah, and I mean, that's the kind of thing that stuck out to me about – so I, I, like I guess I didn't read the 1,700 pages, but I, I did read the summary. And um, requiring lenders to determine upfront whether people can afford to repay their loans. Like, that sounds like an important part of making a loan right. in general. Like, if I'm going to lend money to, uh, you know, James, our, our sound producer, you know, I have to think, is he really going to pay me back? Right. And, and, a, you know. but, and if he does, if he's not able to pay you back, then you basically have to charge a higher rate to everybody else. I mean, so in that sense, it's like the rates are, are I also want to mention the rates are actually fairly competitive. It is a very competitive industry. And so, well, yeah. well, so, so here's where you get into a little bit of economic theory, right? The, if it's really, if it's really last resort, uh, it, like lending of last resort, then theoretically everyone should have about the same rates, but they don't necessarily have to be competitive with each other. So in other words, 
let's just imagine an economic model where there is a, a closed population of 10 people and there's three people uh, giving out payday loans. Um, if it's, it's not like borrowing money to, you know, mortgage rates have more to do with market dynamics because I can just say, oh my God, 20%, I'm just not gonna buy a house, I'll just wait. Whereas payday loans, if, it's, if I need the money or else I'm going bankrupt, like I will take it out. And so there's no reason for the lenders, for one lender to provide a, a better rate. They, they can basically, in other words, collude without talking to each other about mm. colluding. So in that sense, you would claim that because demand is, in economics terms, inelastic. Correct. Um, and people absolutely absolutely need this kind of like medical care in a certain way. Exactly. Um, that they will do whatever they can. Although there and, and, are and, there are other options. And I want to stress this because um, they're not great options. You could go overdraft. You could write a check um, and and actually um, withdraw on your bank account. There are other ways. You know, you could be late on paying um, a, a bill. And what one study that I read said is that people aren't ignorant about where their money's coming from. Uh, they do very specific calculations before taking on some of these loans. And they find that taking on some of these payday loans is actually a better option than some of their other options. It, it, it may, but I'm just saying among payday loan providers, like since you can't, um, like, okay, uh, okay, compare it to cereal, right? Cereal, you have different brands, you have different, that, that do different things that have different marketing and they can stand out. So if I make Lucky Charms, no one else can make Lucky Charms. Mm -hmm. You can't patent an interest rate. So if I start offering 5% as, as a payday lender, everyone else can just come right down to 5% with me um, or be you know just above or just below. And so, it, so, so the rates are really, for that reason, set by regulation unless regulation mandates that they're below a certain level that would remain profitable. So it, it, it's not like there's a whole lot of price competition because the products, because it's, it's a commodity product with inelastic demand. That, 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 that's my point is that, you know, th there are other market options, but among payday, payday lenders have no incentive to offer a, a good rate given that the demand is inelastic. Unless, unless there is some sort of regulation that comes into play. Right. So, so and, and that sort of would be the, the philosophy behind the regulation that otherwise you just have a, a market failure. Um, or, or, you know, m maybe if demand is inelastic, you know, banks are entitled to, to charge whatever they like, like that, you know. Actually, you know, I was I was super fascinated by this, you know, especially because, as you were talking about before, uh, different states have different requirements. And so it was actually interesting. I mean, this, this is ripe for um, econometric studies to see, you know, how did people in one state fare versus another um, if a rule was changed. And so actually, I do have a few examples. Um, this one happens to be a little bit more favorable towards the, the payday lenders. Um, so uh, Oregon decided to cap what um, payday lenders were able to charge. So they were usually a 400% is um, what they were charging. They mm -hmm. capped it at 150%. Okay. Um, so that brought it down actually quite a bit. So if somebody, um, it went from, if someone borrowed a hundred dollars, um, they would pay an average of 15 that then changed to, they would pay an average of about $6 okay. on that hundred dollar loan in Washington state. They almost passed a law that was very similar, but they didn't. And so that creates a really interesting comparison. And so they looked at, at data um, for people, um, but they also compared data on bank overdrafts, late bill payments, um, employment, 
et cetera. And they actually found that payday borrowers in Oregon actually seemed to be harmed by the fact that they weren't able to access loans as easily because a lot of payday lenders ended up closing up shop or mm. not offering loans. So that actually in some ways supports the uh, pro payday loan um, right. industry. But there are other studies, I mean, again, this is contentious, um, that looked at mil military personnel and found the opposite, that they were actually uh, harmed by access to payday loans in, in the same way that it's sort of, if it's easy to access um, and there's advertising around it and all sorts of other things, they're more likely to do it. Well, in Oregon, they're also hurt by the falling hazelnut price due to what's going on in Turkey. Oh, that's a nice plug for our previous KOE episode. It's a reverse plug. Uh, yeah. Reverse tease. Um, yeah, so, so and, and I want to get a bit more into what consumers know and don't know when they when they take out a payday loan, because that's sort of the, the, the crux of the issue, I think. Sure. Um, but but speaking of those other options, um, and just, just getting back to the storyline a bit, so the there was a recent new, oh, and, and by the way, there's an interest. More attention was brought to this issue by John Oliver hmm. in the first season of uh, last week tonight. He did a big thing about payday loans that kind of brought a bit more attention, especially uh. from from the left to the to the issue. So, huh. um, just another thing in the in the soup is that you ha when you have culture and politics going different directions, that sort of yeah can be interesting. Um, but but yeah, so so responding to a lot of the changing winds that I mentioned in in Congress and the executive branch. Uh, U.S. Bank, part of U.S. Bank Corp, recently introduced uh, last just last month the Simple Loan. Um, it's basically it is an alternative to, to payday loans. Actually, um, it, it, their goal is to uh, quote help consumers deal with unexpected or short-term cash needs with a transparent, easy-to-understand installment loan. Basically, if you have recurring direct deposits, i.e., you have a job and getting paid, uh, you can borrow between a hundred dollars and a thousand dollars, and you have to repay it over three payments. Uh, within three months, and you're charged $15 for every $100 if you pay manually, and $12 for every 100 if you pay with auto pay. Uh, and there are no rollovers. Not only are there no rollovers, but you have to wait 30 days to take out another one mm. after repayment. And and the funny thing is, well, not, not funny, it's actually kind of great, is that on their website explaining the loan to consumers, they, they wrote in big, bold letters, simple loan is a high-cost loan. And there and there may be alternatives. So they're they're letting people sort of know, like the cigarette industry, telling you that smoking's bad for you. Yes, ex except that you know, occasionally you need a. Well, I guess sometimes you need to smoke too. So it's uh, okay. Uh, but in some ways, so why weren't banks getting in on this industry before? It just wasn't profitable. Well, well, but I mean, it, or when, there are regulations when you have the control of the currency telling you, you know, you're going to trap consumers in a cycle of high cost debt. Especially when it's not a product that's like massively profitable, you're just like, ugh. Like, we, do we really want to get on the bad side of like the Obama administration mm. to make a couple bucks? You know, when we're making so much money doing all these other things, probably not. Just not a worthwhile industry. It, yeah, when you're so heavily regulated, you just you just want to make friends. Um, and so, but U.S. Bank is sort of making. I mean, maybe they're doing this to make friends. That, that's how much the winds have shifted. That now the administration is so. And Congress are so pro banks getting involved that maybe it, it, it's just it's just crazy our system. Well, I, I hope that some of the banks adopt your tagline of "We just want to make friends." Yes, yes, that, yeah. that's a good one actually. Yeah, that's well. Well, who's the most convenient bank? That's uh, is it TD Bank? Where the Oof. most convenient? I don't. I don't know none of this marketing. You don't know bank slogans? No. Quick, 
Who could forget the iconic Bank of America slogan? I already forgot it. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I don't know if they have one. Yeah, so, so now let's talk a bit about the alternatives. Obviously, the best alternative is saving money. Uh, you, you know, there's a lot sure. of articles on the internet. Hey, don't take out a payday loan. Instead, save money. It's like, okay, well, gee, thanks. Like, I'd do it if I could. Yes, or, or it's like the wrong time for that advice. Um, so, I mean, there's just some crazy studies that about 57% of Americans have less than $1,000 saved. and It's mostly millennials. Yeah, yeah, true, true. But but it's, I mean, uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, well, I mean, I, I feel like people, uh, I don't know. I honestly, uh, oh, I don't want to go too far, but I feel like it's a bit of a cultural thing. I, I feel like Americans, even though we don't have a don't have a social safety net, so you would think people would be more inclined to save. It honestly seems like people are pretty disinclined to save. I mean, Americans make a ton of money. Like, why why don't they have? Why don't they have? Well, also interest rates have been very low for the past few oh, years. Come yeah, on, a little come nod to on. that. So people want to take on more debts. I think there are incentives there, and I'm sure many would agree with me. Okay, um, so let's let's talk about some of the alternatives here. So uh, there, there's not a lot of we talked about this uh, uh, before we recorded, but there's not a lot of unbiased information about payday loans because right. it is so contentious. Um, like if you like tr- try to look up uh, whether abortion is good or bad, you know, I mean, you're not going to find. You can't find unbiased right. information. So, so, he, so, but, but here's uh, from from a source more on the right, the Mercatus Center, kind of libertarian think tank. Quote: Those who use payday loans have limited alternative sources of credit, and these include pawn shops, bank overdraft protection, credit card cash advances were available. In informal lenders. Informal lenders is uh, like me lending a couple bucks to James. Or maybe like a GoFundMe campaign. Oh, God. Yeah, so that's not really lending. That's just donations. charity. Oh, okay. Um, and and they, they argue payday loans are less expensive than these alternatives. So is this is this all considered shadow banking? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for so sure. So this is welcome to the world of shadow banking. Yeah. It sounds a lot sexier. Than, yeah. We should have started the episode out that way. Yeah. But I never, I never, shadow banking, I never know what it is. It's in the shadows. Right. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, so <laughs> I, I, you know, we start off the episode by promising a connection to stolen goods. So, so here we go. It's the connection to pawn shops, mm. which are really, a, really in the mix here. They're really a part of the environment. Uh, you know, people don't often think of payday loans and pawn shops in the same, uh, same frame maybe, but, but, mm. they're, but they're quite similar. So, just to refresh you, if, if you don't know how a pawn shop works, you can go in. So, so let's say you uh, you're hard up for cash. You need you need you busted your taillight. You need a hundred bucks. Otherwise, you won't be able to get to work. Um, you can walk in with a gold ring, and you pawn it. Which means I thought it meant you sell it. It actually means that they give you. Let's say they give you a hundred dollars. You have to come back in thirty days and give them. It's often a very high interest rate. It's often like 120 bucks, 130 bucks, something like that. You come back in 30 days, you pay them 130 bucks, you get the ring back. Otherwise, uh, the ring goes bye-bye. You can also just walk in and sell things outright. Um, so that's those are the kind of the two ways that pawn shops get used. Have you ever used a pawn shop? I have not, unfortunately. Have you? Um, I, I did have to go to a pawn shop, but the only reason I did was because when I was 17, I accidentally rear-ended somebody. And they worked at a pawn shop, so to give them money for their car. Does that make sense? I had to go to the pawn shop to give them money. Usually it's when your taillight gets broken, you get money. Here you broke someone else's taillight, and they got money. Yeah, well, that makes sense, right? I 
guess I so. broke their taillight. No, I, I'm not saying they should pay you for breaking your taillight. It's just such a, it's the exact opposite of the example I gave, which is kind of funny. Oh, yeah, right, exactly. But so I went to the pawn shop to pay them. Was that creepy? Um, it was an interesting pawn shop. There's a lot of different strange items, and so they're kind of wonderful to walk around because you find all sorts of weird stuff in there. Mm, like what? Um, I don't know. There were, like, weird lamps and, like, memorabilia, like World War II memorabilia and... I don't know. I, I guess if you're a really big history buff, pawn shops are kind of awesome. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, I mean, you never know what's real, though. Is the other. That's true. Yeah. Um, but but so any other thing? So the other thing about pawn shops is that they're famous for is being a repository for stolen goods. If you want to offload something quickly, ah, uh. you can just sell it to a pawn shop. It's a good way to go, especially if it's gold. They might just melt it down. No one will ever find it again. They really do melt it down? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's cash for gold places to melt them down. Okay. And, and pawn shops uh, sometimes. So there's a paper uh, that kind of dealt with this issue called The Effect of Stolen Goods Markets on Crime, Pawn Shops, Property Thefts, and the Gold Rush of the 2000s, uh, referring to, to some rapid rises in gold prices by a man named uh, Rocco de Este. Nice name. Yeah. He sounds like a, that's like a good name for like a professional investigator of pawn shops. Yeah. I'm Rocco Este, and I'm here to, I don't know. Uh, he, in the paper, says, quote, after 2001, 2005, we noticed an extremely interesting pattern, which, you know, I get it, but you're writing a paper, but, like, let us find it interesting. Like, show, don't tell, yeah, you know? Yeah, <laughs> Come I, on, Rocco. I feel that. Come on, Rocco. You know, here's a really fascinating thing I found out after the colon. It's like, yeah. I think, okay, I give him some props for like, you know, extremely interesting. Even called well, interesting is a little bit. Gotta, gotta brag a little bit sometimes. I think it's a good thing. I, I guess, yeah, I guess it caught my eye. After 2001, 2005, we noticed an extremely interesting pattern discovered by a very handsome man. Okay, he didn't say that. <laughs> a quote, a rise in gold prices and a, vis- and a visible increase. Go Rocco! And a, a rise in gold prices and a visible increase in burglaries that is only concentrated in counties. Above the pawn shop's median. Okay, so basically... He he, he, he kind of explains it better in the the intro. (laughs) Because he's so great. Rocco's so great. Rocco, Rocco. I mean, is this a kid who, like, maybe didn't get enough... Well, he has to to make people excited about his article that he wrote. Quote... Sorry, Rocco. The analysis suggests... (laughs) It's just extremely... All right, sorry. Okay, here we go. The analysis suggests that burglars respond more to changes in the value of... Come on, get it out. All right, right. it's just extremely interesting. It's so over the top. Am I wrong about this? I mean, I think it's reasonable for... It's like a stand-up comic coming on stage is like, here's an extremely funny observation. That's hilarious. (laughs) The analysis suggests that burglars respond more to changes in the value of criminal opportunities in areas with a larger market for the trade of stolen Property. You get it? So Whew. when gold prices rise, there are more thefts only in places where there are a lot of pawn shops. Wait. So when gold prices rise, mm-hmm. if there are a lot of pawn shops around, it's more likely that your gold jewelry will get stolen. Correct. That kind of makes sense. Right? I mean, that's interesting that that's an interesting observation because it seems uh, kind of Excuse you. Obvious. Extremely Oh, it's extremely interesting. interesting. Um, well, no, no, because what it kind of circumstantially proves is that is that pawn shops are responsible for theft. I mean, that's well, they're not responsible for theft, but they have possibly stolen items in well, them. But but the it, okay, not responsible for theft. Sorry, but you know, 
the existence of pawn shops encourages theft. That, that's basically what what that a fair conclusion from that. Whether well, whether it be pawn shops or I'm, I'm sure there'd be some black market elsewhere. So I don't know if pawn shops specifically encourage it, but but uh, but, but, but that's his case that get, you know it's above when you, there's above the pawn shop median. Ah, uh, <laughs> yes, the pawn shop median. Yeah. Uh, so so that's, that and that sort of uh, shows the, uh, the the link that I talked about. So if Republicans hold control of Congress and keep promoting those small dollar loans done by banks and payday lenders. It's more likely that fewer uh, people who are hard up for money will have to resort to pawn shops. Therefore, oh. a higher percentage of the people selling goods to pawn shops will be uh, uh, thieves, uh, and, and more of the goods will be stolen, so you're more likely to buy loot by accident. And so that's assuming a few things. Wasn't that extremely interesting? That was extraordinarily interesting. Wow. So let's break this down just quickly. So okay. this, this assumes a few things, that... Thieves are going to thieve um, no matter what. I mean, sure. no matter what. Sure. So whether or not it's easier for them, because if a thief has maybe access to a payday lender a little bit easier, maybe they won't need to steal. I don't, but you, but yeah, the assumption I, I really here is that they'll, that. okay. And so there's like one out of 20 Americans is going to a payday lender. Like they're not just like, is it, huh, do I uh, get a payday loan or do I like, steal gold in some complicated heist, you know? It's, yeah. uh, so really what it comes down to is that the percentage of goods at these um, pawn shops are, is going to be likely higher or like more skewed towards the stolen merchandise, potentially. I guess also gold might have to go up too in price. You, you no, know, but but whether or not gold goes up in price, assuming that the, that, that, that theft is uh, is... Uh, stable mm -hmm. and okay. and pawn shop loans fall at, due to the rise in payday lenders. Uh, yeah. Okay. So and and, and 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 it's um, also key to point out that pawn shops are likely competitors in some ways to payday lenders. It's a good that is exchangeable. Yes. So for, so exactly. So what? Um, thank you. That that's an important puzzle piece, by the way. Yes. Uh, the it, it, so one example actually is Easy Corp, which runs Easy Pawn. Unfortunately, it's E Z. Why unfortunate? Eh, it's a little tacky, don't you think? Oh, but these all these things are kind of in that realm. Yeah, I guess so. Um, and so they started a payday lending company with the very unfortunate name Easy Money in 2007, only to get out of that business in 2015. And then, very unfortunately for them, they were fined by the CFPB later in that same year, even though they'd stopped doing the business, which is just kind of funny. They were fined why? Uh, I think they had charged rates that were too high, the CFPB found. So the CFPB asked for a settlement and also like for some refunds to the customers. Oh. And, and also, you know, maybe it was misleading. So some of their literature was misleading, as, as you might guess from their name. And, and so, so this is sort of where it, where it um, could, nothing's easy about having to pay, you know, 400% yeah. interest right. rates. If, if a company is called Easy Anything, it's likely that it's not. Like easy money is like in the list of names, like companies most likely to get you fined by regulators, you know, up, the, up there with. Easy money is kind of um, what everyone. It's, it's, a, it's a song by, uh, what's his face? It's also. Easy money. Isn't that a song by. I uh, don't know that song. Paul and Oates? But it's also, um, what, the Fed, right? It all comes back to the Fed. Easy money policy. Yeah. Yeah. Easy money. Let's, uh, Hall and Oates, am I, am I going crazy here? Not that I know of. 
I mean, you might be going crazy. I don't know that song. All right, all right. I, I, I think it's Billy Joel. Wow. Oh my gosh. Billy Joel. All right, good, good. You know, I want the easy, easy money. I, anyway. Uh, where were we? Uh, oh, so, so the and and here's where we get into some of the distinctions between pawn lending and payday lending in the eyes of the CFPB because. The CFPB, specifically, that, that, that rule that we referenced, does not apply to pawn lenders. So this is a rule that Mulvaney's fighting. Correct. Sure. And they mentioned the word pawn 104 times in the regulations. They even mentioned— uh, Out of 1,600 pages. Fair enough. Um, but they even mentioned in one of the footnotes that pawn lending is referenced in the Old Testament. Fun fact. I'm— not surprised. I mean, usury is mentioned in the Old Testament, so go. I would imagine pawn would be close by. There you go. So, they but they explained why they why they weren't as concerned about pawn lending, um, and I found this very interesting. I'm just going to read here. Consumers may be more likely to understand and appreciate the risks associated with physically turning over an item to the lender when they are required to do so at consummation. So it goes to you know, how much the consumer knows about the, the, the risks they're taking on. Moreover, in most situations, the loss of a non-recourse pawned item over which the lender has sole physical possession during the time of the loan, remember you don't have sole physical possession of your car because there are two sets of keys, mm -hmm. is less likely to affect the rest of the consumer's finances than is either a leveraged payment mechanism or vehicle security. For instance, a pawned item of this nature may be valuable to the consumer, but the consumer most likely does not rely on the pawned item for transportation to work or to pay basic living expenses or major financial obligations. So they see this as not as predatory because if you pawn off your World War II memorabilia or your gold ring or whatever else and you lose it, um, it's not going to really affect your ability to continue working or it doesn't trap you in the, the debt cycle that right. a lot so, of people get so in. They're very worried about this the debt trap as a term that comes yeah, up over I and think over again. That's actually the biggest issue here. Out of everything, it's it's people ending up in this debt cycle. Yeah, yeah, and and so you know it, it's it's just interesting because because on one hand, if I get getting a hundred dollars and having to pay fifteen dollars, like if I am not really thinking about my finances, it's like oh my god, I get a hundred dollars, all I have to pay is fifteen. Like 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 what a bargain. Whereas I, I if I walk in and say here's a gold ring, and they're saying okay, if you don't give me one hundred and fifteen dollars, you're not going to get this back. Got it. Like. I feel I, I have to understand the risks that are much better. I think that people, I mean, and I'll reiterate this, I, d I don't think there are people who are financially illiterate, and so they don't necessarily know um, what they're getting into, and they don't read the small print. On the other hand, a lot, I do believe a lot of these people who are going into these payday lending shops are not idiots. I mean, they do know what they're getting into. They do know that these that they're paying a higher interest rate than they normally would have. Um, and I will say that people on the lower end of the income scale tend to be a lot more watchful of, uh, and knowledgeable about where their next paycheck's going to come from, where their mm. money's coming from, True. versus um, someone that does have money. They're not as careful with every penny and every dollar that comes in and goes out. Yeah, I, I, I read this quote uh, that you know, for for the poor, every decision is a financial decision. Right. Um, which is just such a, such a cruel irony that the people who enjoy thinking about their money because they have a lot of it don't have to think about it. Whereas yeah. the people who, uh, you know, are in a difficult situation financially are forced to think about it 
almost yeah. every minute of their lives. And I also want to point out, I mean, I hope I'm not coming off as defending the payday loan industry. I just kind of like... Hey, you can defend them. Well, no, no, no. In the sense that I feel like they do get a bad rap. And I think it's important to be a little bit of a contrarian in some of these situations. Because I, I do think, I mean, usury is bad. And like, you know, people ending up in a debt cycle is bad. I do want to point out that some of these payday lenders are very much part of the community. Mm. Um, there is a communal aspect to it. Um, and people go in and, and they they need these loans. And so, and oftentimes they're able to pay them back within a few weeks. So right. it's, they don't end up in a debt cycle. There isn't, it's, this is not completely a black or white issue that they're bad or good. It's somewhere in between. Yeah, and I will say it sometimes strikes me as almost like, oh, I eat meat, but I could never, you know, kill a chicken or a cow. Mm. Like, <laughs> for, for I, I think that the, the moderate left has a, has a really difficult position to try to defend here where, you know, it, it just seems wrong for people to charge such a high interest rate. But at, at yeah, the same it, time- it feels pe- wrong. But at the same time, people need to get the money somewhere. So, that, so that's why it comes down to, well, what are the alternatives? And like, like if you bust your taillight and you need you need a hundred dollars to fix it, otherwise you're going to get fired from your job. Then you're in a real cycle of of poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, arguably, you're better off just taking the payday loan. And so, it it comes. It, it's almost something that uh, to steal a line that that is sometimes used about abortion by people who are uh, pro-choice that it should be legal but used sparingly. So I I it's just it's just interesting that. I, I don't know. It, it, it's it's a really fascinating issue because it's sort of it's a touch point with um, so many issues that we have as a society, where from income inequality to people not saving enough money to you know people making much less money than they used to as a percentage of the profits of, of corporations. And so there is a the libertarian angle is is quite clear. I'll let the free market do its thing. And the extreme left angle would be, well, this is just another symptom of this horrible society we live in and we need to burn capitalism down. Mm. The, the moderate views on both the right and left are are sort of hard to... It, it, I, I, well, it's somewhere in between and then putting, like, you know, steadfast regulations on it then becomes really difficult because there is no 100% correct answer. But in some ways, all this regulation going after the payday lenders, all the stuff, whether it be pawn shops or whatnot, is kind of a Band-Aid on a bigger issue that people haven't really yet figured out. And never will. I mean, it's just some people have more than others. Like, it just it just feels feels wrong. And that's why we have all these things in our society about oh, it. We, we just don't know how to how to deal with that fact. And so sometimes that leads to our inability to deal with that leads to bad policy and leads to disjointed policy and and which is what we see now right even saying it's sad is like well, some just people, well it could be disjointed policy is sad uh, i think that's really what oh, that's, the sad part is i think that's i thought you were you're all about disjointed eh, i'm i'm kind of wishy-washy like most americans all right, all right well uh, that does it for this week's knock on effects yeah yeah okay um you can Catch the video version of this episode at realvision.com slash knock on effect. And we have new episodes airing every Thursday. Yes. And if you want to grab a 14 day free.
free trial to Real Vision. Uh, now is a great time. We have a lot of big names. Watch a recent interview with Stanley Druckenmiller, and a lot of a lot of other big uh, big stuff coming up here. So, so grab a subscription. Uh, you can grab a free trial first if you like and uh, enjoy. Yeah, check it out. All right, see you guys next week. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.